0: In your best Will Smith impression, can you give us a good, hearty, welcome to Earth?
1: Oh, oh, Jesus. Uh, Welcome to Earth. Wow, amazing. Mm.
2: Kenny, I thought you said you'd stop playing the Will Smith clip in the spot where we're listening to the guest.
0: Until we finally get a guest that gets it right, I'm going to keep playing the clip.
2: That was obviously just the clip from the movie.
0: You are listening to ID4 Minutes at a Time, the only podcast dedicated to analyzing, scrutinizing, and celebrating the 1996 Roland Emmerich Masterpiece Independence Day. Four minutes at a time. I am but one of your co-hosts, Kenny Madison, and along with me are...
3: Lulu Nagel.
0: Tyler Bryce. And joining us today... The managing editor of slashfilm.com, the co host of Trekking Through Time and Space podcast, and if I may say, Kenny, don't. If I could dare say, <sighs> okay. a raconteur oh. in his own right, Jacob Hall, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Kenny. You're giving me way too much credit with that raconteur thing. You're setting the wrong expectation for all your listeners. This is going to burn up in your face. Uh,
0: just set those expectations high because I guarantee that Jacob will surpass them.
3: Oh.
1: You're doing terrible, terrible things here.
0: Uh, Speaking of terrible, terrible things, hopefully these next four minutes will be anything but terrible as we go into minutes 108 through 112. Minutes 108 through 112 start with President Thomas Whitmore giving a speech and ending with Russell Case deactivating a missile?
3: (gasps) What? How can he? We're supposed to be attacking. Why are we deactivating things?
2: That's a great
0: question, Lulu.
2: It's a great question that can only be asked of somebody who or by someone who has not uh, seen the movie. Lulu, of course, new hat at the movie. She she doesn't remember it at all. Uh, So she's seeing it within these four minutes at a time. Kenny and I, old hat. We've seen the movie dozens of times each. We're related to people that made the movie. How about how about you, Jacob? What's what's your relationship to Independence Day?
1: I'm young enough that I saw it in theaters without having seen a trailer, without knowing what it's about. I was dragged there by an, uh, by the older kid my mom paid to watch me during the summer while she worked. And <laughs> it blew me away. It was one of those things, a life-changing theatrical experience. I, I feel that we, as adults, we walk into a movie we have expectations for how film works. We understand how a three-act structure works, how screenwriting works, how the camera plays tricks. But when you're the age I was watching Independence Day, and you're completely unaware of the fact that yes, the dog will survive that fireball explosion. No, you not know that dog could be toast and you're absolutely petrified. And these four minutes in particular are so exciting because they're setting up for the climax, which I won't talk about here, but it's very much a case of Independence Day was the most unpredictable thing young me had ever seen up to that point. It was so far beyond what I had seen in other forms of media. It took no prisoners while being entirely accessible for an eight-year-old. So it was just absolutely mind-blowing. And since then, I've seen it many, many times. My my wife watched it once a year for the 4th of July. Uh, That was a tradition before I married her. And it's a tradition that we try to keep upheld in our household. So it's a movie that I will defend with my dying breath as one of the great examples of American blockbuster cinema. That's
0: fantastic. Thank you. So what you're saying is that this movie was just a little bit formative? For you, just oh. like a tiny bit.
1: Uh, speaking as the, uh, the the president and the secretary of the Independence Day Resurgence fan club, yes, the entire <laughs> franchise is something I consider important to me. <laughs> you like Independence Day Resurgence? Uh, I have a huge soft spot for it. And are we? Am I allowed to go on a tangent to explain why I like Independence Day Resurgence without spoiling anything for Lulu? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay.
0: Lulu, I really don't think you have to take your headphones off for (laughs) Independence Day resurgence spoilers.
1: Okay, so Independence Day 96. It's a science fiction alien invasion movie, yes, but it's very much a classic Irwin allen styled disaster movie. It's like Airport. It's like a towering inferno. It's like a Poseidon adventure. It is an ensemble of actors you like surviving a, a disaster, surviving uh, some a world-altering catastrophe that changes not only their world, but the world of everybody they know. And it's about how do they survive, how they interact, how they come out of this alive. And that is an old school Hollywood style. It is something that was, you know, popped in the 60s and 70s. And Independence Day revives that in a way that is really true to that form while introducing, you know, 90s style visual effects, aliens. And it's set very much in our world. It says, this is our world with people you recognize as humans invaded by aliens. Resurgence, not not as good of a movie, but I admired the gumption. Oh, because it's not? It's <laughs> not?
0: I had, I had it, no idea.
1: Resurgence has the nerve to say, if we were invaded by aliens, it would fundamentally change the way we live our lives. It would fundamentally alter our world, our relationship with technology, our military, the way we communicate, the way we work. Resurgence then builds a new world to suggest here's how an alien invasion actually changed this world narratively hit and miss at best mm. but in terms of world building in terms of actually taking seriously the idea of how an alien invasion alter our civilization i think it's absolutely fascinating how, how it chooses to address and answer those questions
3: i'm, I'm gonna see it after this <laughs> yeah i think we have to watch it
0: I, I two think minutes we... at a time mm-hmm. that no Good lord, no. no. Uh, passionate defense of Independence Day Resurgence, and maybe the only defense that we might ever have on this podcast.
1: I saw opening night, and when the crash rolled, dead silence. Not a single person theater making a noise, no applause, Aww. no hooting hollering. I sat there feeling, feeling ashamed in my seat for thinking, I, am I the only one who liked this? Am I the only one who enjoyed this? And the <laughs> answer was yes. So.
3: <laughs> Aw, man.
1: Yeah, I mean... It's not that Irwin Allen old-fashioned style disaster movie. It is very much a silly science fiction movie. But I also feel that it, by explaining how the world changed, it has allowed the genre shift, which is my my hot take on resurgence. But let me
2: also say though of that movie that that movie was so obviously trying to franchise build that they kept leaving things mm-hmm. open ended, um, so that it doesn't have the the tightness. That the first one does. And so, whereas you see it as world building, I see it as, oh, you guys are trying to... You're franchise building, not world building. Which is one of the reasons why I have such strong opinions for why why it fails is you weren't trying to tell the movie that's right now. You were trying to tell the movie that's three movies from now because you're trying to build uh, a franchise. And it was probably the part that bummed me out the most about that last Ridley Scott alien movie, Prometheus, is... You just opened up all of these doors and then said, okay, that's a movie. And it's like, no, I want to feel completion at the end of this.
0: Uh, Tyler, I think you're forgetting Alien Covenant. Oh,
1: yeah. Um, My apologies.
0: And that they answered every question that Prometheus
1: Do I have to come on this show and explain why Alien Covenant is a masterpiece? Yes. (laughs) Yes, you do. Later. Uh, Short answer, Ridley Scott, a man in his late 70s, early 80s, reeling from the death of his brother, spends $200 million of major corporations' money to make a movie about how we're all doomed and how it's all hopeless. Alien, Alien Covenant is, a, is an old man striking at the darkness, fighting against death, and, and wondering if it's all worth it.
0: Oh. <laughs> Lulu, you have passionate opinions about the Alien franchise. Let's get some of those hot takes about Alien.
3: Well, what I was just thinking was, I gave birth out of my stomach for my second child. <laughs> But there was, like, anesthesia involved and a precision cutting, and, you know, it wasn't what Sigourney Weaver experienced, but I feel like the recovery was similar. Lulu, what a hot take. Uh, You're just filled
0: with a whole bunch of hot takes, including some of your predictions on what's going to happen in these upcoming four minutes. Lulu, are you ready? Ready. Uh, And give us a good hearty noise if you recognize any of these predictions that you made from last week. Okay. Prediction number one, we still haven't seen Will Smith fly the alien ship, and Jeff Goldblum's on board, so there's going to be witty repartee. Hot take. (laughs) We need the alien DNA to make the buttons light up. Hot take.
3: Yeah, that's a yes.
0: Oh, I got it. After the double wedding, Constance gives the hint that maybe he's got a shot if he comes back alive, he being Jeff Goldblum.
3: Oh, motivation. Hot take.
0: We've got to see. We've got to see Vivica A. Plus Fox's son wrap his arms around Will, say, "I want you to come back," and they'll go back to the theme park if there is one still. Hot take. Uh, Randy Quaid gets into his first airplane. It's got to be a getting ready for minutes, and we'll get to some of some takeoff, and they finally get the spaceship. Randy Quaid maybe leaves the formation like a flock of geese in a V formation. <laughs> Hot take. Uh, And then in regards to watching the rest of Bill Pullman's supposedly iconic speech, you predict that the iconic line is one world, one people, and that Bill Pullman gets the entire crowd to chant one world, one people.
3: Yes, hot take. And
0: then afterwards, Bill Pullman says, go get them, tigers, (laughs) and make daddy proud. Yes,
3: hot take. Especially daddy proud. Excellent. Anything else before we go watch these four minutes, folks? Nervous. I'm nervous about these four minutes. Why are you nervous, Lulu? Because I feel like Jacob has said that something might big might happen, and we know that you said something earlier about how it ends, but now I can't remember. Oh, they have deactivated a missile, so something's happening. We're going to get some action.
0: Something's going to happen in these four minutes.
3: <laughs> Guaranteed. Then let's go
0: watch those four minutes, okay. and we will be right back after this. Sound
3: cue. <gasps> <laughs> I understand now <laughs> why he deactivates the missile. Cause he's a drunkie. and <laughs> no, how he's like, do, do I just, I'm supposed to put my pin in here, right? <laughs> One, four, five, five. Uh oh, Lulu. But <laughs> Lulu. <laughs> yes <laughs> what happened lulu well president pullman disappointed me it did not say make daddy proud
0: look i already love this movie we already love this movie mm-hmm. but it would have sent it 10 out of 5 stars guaranteed he right. said make daddy totally.
3: proud totally but it was a beautiful speech and i got goosebumps when he was saying all of the things like this is a fight a fight for freedom, not from tyranny and not from this, but from annihilation. We're not fighting for land. I'm making this part up, but we're not fighting for land or resources. We're fighting for our very existence. And then he has a nice rhyme. He's like, what does he say? Um, we will not vanish quietly into that good night. We will not vanish without a fight. And then I was like, we're we gonna do, where the pom-poms, you know, we need some more rhyming. <laughs> but um, it was so patriotic because then he's Gets down and his attaché person comes over and says, "I've got all your gear and your jumpsuit here in this duffel bag, sir." And the five star grizzled general comes up and says, "Mr. President, what are you doing?" And he says, "I'm fighting. I am a pilot. I belong in the air." And it was just so like he's finally coming to his own. Maybe he shouldn't have been president. Maybe he should have just been a fighter. May, may
0: I double back real quick? Sure. We started our speech last week. And, and perhaps y'all can confirm this, Tyler, Lula, that it was like 30 seconds of speechifying from President Bill Pullman. Is that correct? Yes. This is the speech. This is one of the most famous speeches in movie history. Jacob, would you concur?
1: Yeah, I feel like I, this is my go-to for a presidential speech in a movie. I, if you ask me a name another fictional president making a speech, I couldn't. This is the one I think about. As somebody who finds... Great difficulty feeling patriotic these days. This speech makes me well up in my heart. It makes me proud to be an American in the fictional Independence Day world as opposed to the real one.
0: And what's weird is that it's so iconic and only a minute and a half. I I feel like it's going to that thing that me and Tyler keep talking about every week. This movie is so efficient just (laughs) in terms of packing so much into so little of a time. It's only 90 seconds. But
2: we do have to give a bunch of props to the fanfare raising below him uh, while he's giving it and then building to the peak where everyone's applauding. Oh,
3: I know the music.
1: Oh, it's swelling. We need to dwell on on David Arnold's music here because David Arnold was one of those guys who was really dependable for years. I mean, at this point, he had taken over doing the James Bond scores uh, and like really underrated work. Like between like more famous composers, he was doing really solid work for even weak movies in the Brosnan years. And Independence Day's theme has an immediate identity. You hear that music and it's like, oh, that's Independence Day. And so many movies these days are absolutely terrified of having recognizable theme. They're, they're, they don't want to have that calling card where you, you hear and go, oh, that's so-and-so. That's this movie series. Or Independence Day, you hear that and you go, yeah, that, that's Independence Day. It, it has an identity. They, David Arnold is low-key, like giving this movie its soul here.
0: Yeah, why don't movies just have hummable scores anymore? Yeah, what's the deal
1: about that? I have my, my, my theory. Uh, this is possibly incorrect. But I think, that, I think that part of it has to do with the, I'll use Marvel as an example. I love the Marvel movies, but they have no recognizable themes. And part of me, I, asked, tried, I actually tried to ask a composer who worked for Marvel about this, and I get, I, get, I get sidelined by it. I genuinely think that a lot of it has to do with that. If you start having recognizable themes to carry from film to film across a massive franchise, you guys are paying more people.
2: In the theatrical release of Justice League, they actually had Danny Elfman doing the musical work behind the scenes. And there was a part in the final battle with Steppenwolf where you actually heard mixed in his original Batman theme as well as the Superman theme that he used and it's one of those things that I went, I actually really like the quote from earlier that they did, the musical quote that made me go, that is my childhood. This is, well, my young adulthood. So I absolutely agree on, on how it is that you can be affected by things that you're not aware that you're being affected by. But once they lay that groundwork, then it, it stays with you for a long time.
1: I'll use another example, Lord of the Rings, the way a Howard Shore's score quotes itself motifs that appear in the first film resurface in later films in different, you know, slower or faster, you know, darker, more whimsical. And that score is, has like five or six moments that are like, that are immediately iconic and immediately stand out. And the, the power of it being able to draw back on itself to be like hours later in a film trilogy to remind you of a moment earlier in a new context here is powerful in a way that only music can do. And Independence Day is really from an era where, studio films were actively trying to have recognizable scores. I'm trying to think of, you know, recent films that, that utilize music as powerfully as Lord of the Rings, as powerfully as Independence Day. And the, the answer is that it's not happening on films like this anymore, not, not Independence Day scale. And I, I'm just trying to imagine a more generic score over the scene. And I, Bill Pullman was great in the scene. The writing is really good. It's it, it, I'll, I would love to dissect the filmmaking of the scene in a moment after he passed the score. But it's very much a case of, Everybody on this on, the, on screen is taking the speech seriously. No one's hamming it up, even though it could have been played really goofy. And David Arnold's over here saying, "I'm going to lean into the bigness here." Everybody, everybody on screen is being serious enough that I can get big, a little sentimental uh, here because we've earned it. And I feel like at this point, the score is giving us permission to get really excited, and that's something that Independence Day has been building to for the past what 70 minutes of movie canon.
3: A hundred.
0: One hundred and eight minutes. It's the best. And that's why Independence Day is the greatest movie of all time. Ten out of five stars.
3: Well, my plot summary. Um, I belong in the air, he says. And then we have this moment where the, the general thinks about arguing and he's like, you know what? We're fighting for our existence and our president is going with us and all hands on deck and I understand you and yes. And then I saw the five-star general think, I'm finally going to get that funding I've been wanting if we survive this. <laughs>
0: Also, we find out Robert Loggia's name. It's Will. Will. Even though we talked about it a couple episodes ago, that his name is what General Gray. Gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Pullman goes. I belong in the air. Will.
3: Ooh. Yeah. Was that a good that Bill Pullman good. impression? It was really good. Yeah.
0: Why
2: are you playing these clips from the movie more than just the four, sec- four minutes yeah. that we're watching, getting? I, I belong mm-hmm. in the air. That is the best Bill Paxton ever.
3: Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman.
0: Pullman. Bill Pullman, it's
1: Pullman, Pullman. Oh, okay. May, may I dwell on the decision that President Thomas J. Whitmore makes in this scene?
3: Yes. His middle <laughs> initials, <is> J. <Jay>. We, <laughs> shall, we shall dwell.
1: Uh, president Thomas J. Whitmore is a sitting commander-in-chief, a sitting president, actively choosing to, to walk onto a battlefield, strapping into a jet plane to join the final fight. I just want to point out that he is not the first president to do this. <laughs> I did my research. Whoa. Um, wow. D- George Washington, our first president, led troops in the Whiskey Rebellion, No no shots were fired on his watch. His was a peaceful watch of just organizing troops, but he was a commander in chief on the battlefield in the uh, 1790s, it would have been, prepared to fight as a general. And he, of course, he had military experience. And of course, many presidents have military experience, Eisenhower, but Eisenhower didn't fight while president. James Madison, while fleeing the White House during the War of 1812, as the British burned down the White House, burned down Washington, DC, he participated in the organized retreat of, of US troops from Washington, D.C., meaning that he was part of U.S. military maneuvers while sitting as president. And Abraham Lincoln uh, was visiting a Union fort when it came under fire by Confederate soldiers. Not to spoil things too much, he gets a little more action than those three did.
3: Except Lincoln got shot at.
1: On that point, I would think
2: that the filmic language that they would use of him looking would be coming up, coming back down, and then finding a hole in his in his hat <laughs> as he looks and sees. and
3: mm. right.
2: That would absolutely be the film language that they would use to show us he was in harm's way.
3: I wanted to say last week, we missed something t- that Tyler said is another piece of film language. When the president stood up with his bullhorn to begin his speech, it had yeah. feedback. Yeah. yes, yeah. We forgot to talk about it.
1: I'm sorry to keep jumping in because I, w- I really want to dwell on one more thing. I keep asking to dwell. I keep asking to dwell. I want to explain why I think the filmmaking of Pullman's speech, or sorry, Thomas J. Whitmore's speech, let's show some respect here, is so effective from Roland Emmerich's point president of view. Thomas Whit- president Thomas president, J. Mr. Whitmore. President Thomas J. Whitmore. President Thomas J. Whitmore. I voted for him. I would have. He's, he's essentially Bill Clinton with machine gun. <laughs> what, when you watch this scene, it, is, it really is a series of static shots of people, of, of, our, of our, our president Thomas J. Whitmore, of various extras reacting. But Roland Emmerich, is a really dynamic filmmaker. And he and rather than having swooping Michael Bay bullshit of cameras constantly moving, he trusts us to watch the performance, but we notice the frame here is interesting because he has flashing yellow lights, emergency yellow lights that are flickering across the frame. He has inexplicable fog and smoke rolling across every scene. And you're watching the character's performance, so these are all background notes, but it lends a dynamism to the filmmaking. There is a sense of escalation, of action, of excitement and tension throughout this entire speech. And it's because every frame, every detail, there's movement. Even when characters are standing still talking to megaphones, that frame is active. It is really quietly low-key great action filmmaking in the middle of a d- presidential speech. Roland Emmerich, back in the day, could bring the filmmaking. It's here and it's low-key. I guess you know, Independence Day is so low-key by like, San like Armageddon two years later, which is just all nonsense flash pan bullshit. Independence Day is confident in, in how it stages its characters, its scenes, and in this case, Action! Action! that's quiet. Actually, you don't notice. So you watch this clip ten times, like I did, but it's there, and that's why the scene works. There's also
2: a part of watching the president end up saying, "Hey, I'm I'm going to I'm a pilot," uh, where we're watching his character arc work work out because at the beginning. We're told point blank, they wanted a pilot and they got a wimp, right? The first couple of scenes that we see where we're identifying how he is at his job, we're seeing people that are critical of the fact that he's not living up to the role that they all voted for him for, right? We are proud to have a fighter as our president. And so they set up this whole long arc that at this point, we're going, oh, he's embracing who he is. He's taking the reins and he's going to be fighting for us and not just at us in a political position. Again, it's that sort of thing where they set a boundary at the top that they said, we need this to happen. And then now we're three quarters of the way through this character's arc and we're going to watch him actually go, you're right. I need to become the thing everyone has told me to be from the beginning of this. And so we watch him have the conversation with the general and instead of going, um, you know, there's lots of reasons why we wouldn't put the person who has control of nuclear weapons up in the air right now we need you down here so that you can coordinate no no we accept the destiny we go for it and i i think that it's fantastic
3: i would like to say that his daughter has already lost a mother and now he's going to go up in the airplane and fight and we haven't seen her i don't know if we'll see her again unless they win and there's some sort of huggy reunion but i feel sorry for her i i know they're fighting for existence maybe his Math is if we don't win, there is no world for her or her at all. But then she loses him and she's an orphan.
0: Maybe Lulu, uh, as we've talked about previously in the podcast, he's overcompensating for not strapping her in in Air Force One by strapping her in too much at Area 51 just to make sure that she's super safe.
3: (laughs) She's in a car seat somewhere like in room eight. She's in a car seat as his co-pilot. No! That would be incredibly
2: effective filmmaking if we got to see her strapped in the back. I'm fighting for one thing. And then...
3: (laughs) Right. And then the camera pans over there. And she's asleep because all kids fall asleep in the car.
1: Uh, who's your favorite extra during the speech? I mean, I'm partial to the guy holding machine gun next to his face, but I also think I have to go with guy giving big salute with helmet on. I
3: like yeah. I like that there was the guy with his arms in a V and he had some nice tattoos. I'm very
0: partial to a guy with aviator glasses, thick beard, and very long hair because I notice him. Spoiler alert, he's an extra that comes back, Lulu.
3: Hmm.
0: I just notice him and he seems I don't know, Uh, far more set painted than the rest of the extras. (laughs) He very much stands out.
2: And once again, Adam Baldwin proving that there's only one man in the military that does anything. (laughs) Because anytime (laughs) someone from the military is asked to do something, he's the guy. He is the go-to, he's our radar, radar O'Reilly of this. He is the person that can anticipate what needs to be done and just do it.
3: Okay, I like that he has just like set up the speech and gotten the bullhorn ready and he's qualified all the pilots and gotten them signed up and he's had time to sneak away and pack a bag for the president.
0: After uh, Bill Pullman goes, along the air, Will. We go to Area 51.
3: And there's my tearful hug between Will Smith and his soon-to... Oh no, it's now officially his stepson because they are married. And he gives him a tearful hug and says goodbye. And then Vivica A-plus Fox is also tearful and goodbye and then we cut to jeff goldblum saying goodbye to his dad because that's been his partner this whole time <laughs> and his dad gives him air force one barf bags which you know that's funny very sweet he just happened like, it's funny that he stole them off the plane number one like you know what i'm these might be worth something maybe i'll just take them with me And then Jeff does the eyebrows, they're so nice, he does a little sympathetic eyebrow move that was very sexy, and then he gives his father his yarmulke and uh, the Torah, his most precious religious artifacts, you know, that he gives them to his father and says, just in case.
0: He gives the barf bags to Jeff Goldblum and goes, just in case, and then Jeff Goldblum gives the Torah and the yarmulke to to Julius, going... Just in case.
3: Oh.
1: May I be inappropriate in the midst of all this sentimental, great character work?
3: Please come come at us.
1: Uh, are, are Judd Hirsch and Jeff Goldblum the hottest father-son duo in Hollywood history?
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, Jacob, we're going to be getting to it. Oh, we're getting to
1: it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another time a father and a son have been cast with two actors who... Either in their prime, past their prime, whatever, were as handsome as those two. And I think that Judd Hirsch, even past his taxi days, is is really handsome here as an older gentleman. And Jeff Goldblum he is handsome at any point in his career. Um, I'm trying to think of another time where they where a movie's been happy to let the, the, the dad be as hot as the sun. <laughs>
3: Be as happy as to let the dad be as hot as the son. <laughs> I love it because finally his dad is not being—he's um, not being tongue in cheek. He's not, well, he is a little bit because he gives him barf bags, but he looks very sincerely and has that moment. And then you're like, "You are handsome." Now there you are—you're not being so defensive with your humor all the time.
1: But yeah, it is lovely. I love that this whole scene. These this series of goodbyes uh, between characters we've grown to like uh, really feels like it matters because our characters are flying into. Surefire doom, and like I said, young Jacob watching this has has no idea that screenwriting rules mean that everybody will probably get home okay. But I, I think these scenes really work and they pay off all the dynamics we've seen before. I mean, as Tyler said earlier, uh, the previous moment paid off uh, President Thomas a Whitmore's uh, evolution from. Uh, fighter to wimp to fighter again and here we have a father and son re- uh, resolving we have a, a strange couple resolving we have a new family um saying goodbye one more time the, the fact that the movie finds time to pause for this matters and it makes what follows sp- no spoilers for lulu all the more meaningful because it's a reminder that these are people we like and i like all these people and i'm scared for what happens to them next and i'm happy to see them have one last time to say goodbye
2: yes let's go a step further on that though because not only are are the characters that that we like but they're they're showing us different aspects of family all the way through the film and everyone that they that they've set up for us as a main character we are introduced to their estranged or estranged the distance that that is between they and their family and and One by one, we're kind of overcoming all of those hurdles and obstacles as our families are coming together. You know, we were told by Julius earlier that he hasn't prayed uh, since David's father died or David's mother died. Pardon me and giving him the option. Uh, David reaffirming his father's faith uh, while the father is is essentially saying, I'm going to trust that you're going to get this right. You know, we're watching this family bond happen. And right next to it, we watch another family dynamic happen on our newly married family that, uh, that was promised at the beginning when they showed us the ring. So we're watching a lot come to fruition, fruition in these four minutes. We're watching these character arcs, play out to the point where, oh, wait, things are starting to happen for these people. It's really fantastic. The one family bond that, that we see in this movie that was distance uh, and a couple that actually loved each other uh, was married, had a daughter, and uh, we have now watched that relationship be the one that led to the significant death. The death of that wife, of uh, the first lady, is now leading to the president having to make tougher choices and step into the role that he's supposed to be playing. You talked earlier, Jacob, about the fact that this movie was like so many of those older movies that that had a cast of thousands. Well, in this, they have a cast of fa- thousands, but they're exploring one concept all the way through it, and that's definitions of family. And so we're watching those definitions of family kind of collide right here in these, in these four minutes as we're starting to build towards the climax.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's really astute, Tyler. I, I hadn't really thought about it in that way because I think Independence Day... Um, is so often seen as being a film that's trying to be the total package, the entire piece of entertainment, every possible way. It's funny, it's exciting, it's scary. It has massive special effects and battles, but you really isolate what it's about. It's about family and about what we actually fight for. The president says in his speech, we're not fighting you know, a war for self-aggrandizement. What are we fighting for? And the answer, as you so clearly put, is for the people we love right next to us. And maybe that's a really simple premise, but it's one that I think the movie as you laid out there, really backs up as being a central thesis that I think pays off throughout the entire film.
3: Except if you're a, a daughter. So we, we had all this goodbye. Oh, then we have Jeff Goldblum hug Connie, Constance, and she doesn't quite say there's something great to come back to, but it's implied. Then I've, I was waiting for the character. There's always a character who comes up. He's like, it's time. <laughs> who is that
0: guy? What is this guy? Who is he? We've never seen him before. I, I don't think he shows up against, but uh, he,
3: hmm. who is this guy? Uh, I think he was, uh, you know, the guy who empties the trash cans at Area 51, and he was just paying attention and knew it was time. I
2: think the more important question is, why wasn't it Adam Baldwin? Because Adam Baldwin should have been the person to come That's to- his job.
3: <laughs> Union rules. It shouldn't have been anybody else saying that. Union rules. It's time. Okay, so... They start to walk, uh, you know, sort of like iconically to their their warship, their spaceship. And then there's like a record scratch of, wait a minute. And Will Smith says, I need cigars. Who's got cigars? I've got to have cigars. And of course, who has cigars right next in his pocket next to his barf bags from Air Force One? Julius, David's dad. So he's like, I've got my last two, and he gives it to him. And he says it exactly
0: like that, which is <laughs> no. <laughs> really not in keeping with the pretty grounded scene. know I hear it too? Just like the Tootsie Roll pop-out.
1: Provided that everybody survives the alien invasion, uh, how many smokers are going to have a real rough week ahead of them with all the cigarettes being destroyed by alien explosions?
2: Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Lots. But you know, as much as they've disrupted supply chains, they've also... Disrupted demand chains. There are going to be many fewer people going for the smaller amounts of cigarettes. I'm saying it's that it's going to work out. It's going to even be- out.
0: What you're saying, Tyler, is that the real struggle, like the big struggle, is the Marlboro manufacturers who are just like, we've got too many cigarettes. And that's what this movie should have been following. Having the
1: plot of Independence Day resurgence, everybody trying to find to <laughs> try to get the cigarette empire back up and running. That's right. That's
3: what it should have been about. Kenny, you just said the word that I can't say. Do you all have a word that's really hard for you to say? Mine's Marlborough. 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 Marlboro. <laughs> which? Do you have a word that's hard to say?
2: I found out many many years ago that I can't say the word wolf well. Uh, that's me attempting to pronounce it, and I found out because I talked about the movie. Dances with Wolves with someone.
3: (laughs) Dances with Wolves.
2: Wolves. They're Wolves. They're Wolves. No, they're Wolves. 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 That's very sweet.
3: Give those Wolves a
2: Marlboro. That's it. I smoked Marlboros when I smoked, and I don't know that
0: I say it effectively.
3: Oh my gosh. It's the Uh, L and the B and the R.
0: I
1: can't can't
0: think of any words, Uh, which is just... I've got perfect diction is what I'm trying to say. That's, true.
3: that's
1: uh, true. Jacob? I have a real hard time with aluminum, which I always have to say very slowly, aluminum, because I lose all the syllables otherwise.
3: <laughs> say uh, that's, say that's it a, the wrong way. Uh,
1: uh, uh, are you, I literally, I'm trying for you, Lulu. Aluminum. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Thank you.
1: I, I, I'm so trained to say it very slowly that I can't even say it, I can't even say it at a regular speed. <laughs> I, I tend to avoid saying it. I'll ask for foil instead of aluminum Oh, how cute. So it's just...
3: Aluminum.
1: Aluminum.
3: Right? Wrap a Marlboro in some aluminum for the wolf. <laughs> Yay. I, All right. Thanks for that. I, just, I you
0: know, repeat,
1: repeat that with your perfect diction.
0: Uh, wrap, uh, wrap a Marlboro in aluminum for the wolf. Did I say it right, Lulu? Yes, you did.
3: Well done, Mr. Diction. I belong in the air, Will. <laughs> I belong on the grammar circuit. <laughs> on On diction.
2: Oh my goodness! Now I'm picturing having a pronunciation be in <laughs> did elementary you say school.
3: Pronunciation?
2: Yes I, yes,
3: I did. It's got some ch's right, in there. We need
2: you to repeat the word
0: hegemony.
3: Hegemony.
0: <laughs> Can you say the word? Yeah, I I did. I, it's a hegemony. All you need to do is Here,
2: just say I'll the word. I'll use the word in a sentence. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You didn't pronunciate it right. <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: Okay. Sorry, Jacob, I'm sure that the lovely mm. film criticism that we've been talking about has now been blown away by this ten minutes of
1: crazy.
3: Oh, this I'm is what swearing. I come
1: here for. Do you think I came here to talk about camera angles? No, I'm here to talk about the Gemini's in
3: aluminum
0: Aluminum, means
3: Luluminum. internal and external anemones. Uh, all right, um, then we finally go to. Oh, by the way, the dog is there. The dog's like woof, like good luck, woof.
1: You'd think that it would be like a, a sanitized area, like an area where like where you have to like wash your hands for going near the alien aircraft. But no, here's the, here's the dog. But you know what? At the same time, that dog walked a very long road to get here that dog survived That dog's an action hero that dog deserves all the respect one of cinema's top dogs one of the very few dogs to absolutely dive in slow motion away from an alien fireball uh for me if i had to rank my movie dogs he'd be near the top um do we have a better was there a better movie dog the independence day dog because this is an ordinary dog man he's an average joe dog who survives as opposed to like some trained bullshit Air is like, look at me play basketball. Useless. Everybody would have died in that tunnel. This dog survived.
3: I know that I'm dinged a lot for thinking about like how people take care of their bodily functions in these areas, but where are they walking the dog? Where is he pooping and peeing? Are they taking the elevator up the 27 floors back up to ground level and risking life and limbs so the dog can go poo and pee? Let's go back to the
1: lab where the alien killed the scientist. It's already smelly. It's already a mess. Just, just create a bigger mess. Clean it up later. I mean, okay.
3: I'd do that. I'd be like, this is a poopoo room, so <laughs> poopoo room. Oh, and then we move finally back to. Uh, I guess are they in Camp Toro?
0: Uh, no, they're still at Area Fifty One. Oh,
3: they're just outside.
0: Yeah, they're they're
3: outside. How did Baldwin get all the way over there? <laughs> And it's get you there fast, vehicle. Randy Quaid, he's in the pilot seat. We see him with the headphones on. He's looking good. He's looking sober. And he starts to press buttons and he activates a missile. And it's like, missile activation countdown. And it starts to count. He's like, oh, no, no. And he's pressing the buttons on. It looks like an old telephone, push button phone. And he finally deactivates the missile. So he doesn't shoot it before he takes off. And he says, I picked the wrong day to stop drinking the wrong. Is it week or day?
2: I think he says day. I
3: I picked the wrong day.
0: Lloyd Bridges would be proud. Yeah,
2: doesn't it feel like an airplane reference in the middle of this?
1: Am, am I wrong? It's, a, it's an airplane reference, which means it's also an airport reference, which ties back to Irwin Allen classic disaster movies. So oh. may, I'm being galaxy brained here, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to say that's in, entirely intended and not me overreaching like an idiot. So,
0: I mean, if you're going to overreach about any movie, this this is the podcast to do it on.
1: I have to ask th- th- everybody here because you've been watching this movie in slow motion, um, and I have not especially Lulu, what is your opinion on Randy Quaid's character here? I feel like he's by far the biggest outlier in the cast. He's sort of runs parallel to the action until he's suddenly here. What's been your reaction to this character and this performance throughout the past months you've been watching this movie?
3: <laughs> well, you know, we, we laugh at him at first. We don't take him seriously. Then we kind of hate him because he's neglected his kids. And then he decides to try and leads the RV friends through the desert to area 51 with Will Smith. And so he's starting to come around a little bit. We haven't seen his kids much lately and their reaction to him, but he's suddenly turning around. He had his moment of feeling justified when he said, you know, I was abducted 10 years ago and no one believed me, but now look at you suckers. I'm going to pilot a plane and help destroy them. Even though they're still like,
0: oh, yeah, sure, Randy Quaid. Yeah, In the last four minutes where he's going, I'm ready to get some payback on those that abducted me and even adam baldwin who
3: is like leading the charge packing duffel bags
0: yeah it's just like oh yeah this guy
3: what's he talking about
0: (laughs) (laughs) um during
2: that scene by the way we did watch his son bring him coffee we did watch him interact with family during that clip
1: i just i asked because i wonder if i think that if, if i was a level one criticism about this movie which i which i love I just wonder if Randy Quaid's performance is a little too big compared to everybody else in this movie, who I think is actually taking the material far more seriously than he is. Am I incorrect?
0: I think what counterbalances that is how sparingly Randy Quaid seems to be in the movie. I remember before doing this podcast that Randy Quaid was in this movie a lot. And then just going through this movie four minutes at a time, he's not really in it that much. In fact, for several
2: weeks in a row, lulu would have in her predictions what's going on with randy quaid we need to check in with those people
1: <laughs>
3: and he was never there but he and harry connick jr were the sort of the buffoons of the movie the the over the top with the humor and just running of the mouth and that sort of thing i hope he doesn't have such a turnaround that he becomes a serious like bill pullman fighter pilot that he can do the job competently but he still retains his quirkiness just well, for... we
2: said no spoilers for Resurgence, but he is the president in Resurgence, so. No.
0: 1,000%. That's
1: definitely what happens.
3: <laughs> no. 2016 <Liar>. Randy
0: Quaid. <laughs> Liar.
1: That's spoiler things for Lulu. You, Tyler and Kenny, you, you planned to inform her after the fact about the alternate scenes filmed with, with Randy Quaid, correct?
0: That is the one spoiler that we have gotten, that we have given Lulu, which is that there is an alternate ending.
3: But now I know Randy Quaid's in it.
1: Oh, okay. All, all I want to say is that the alternate ending I, is by far my favorite example of realizing, oh no, we need to fix this in Hollywood history.
0: It is shocking. It is so misguided. It's a blast. Thank goodness it didn't happen. Yeah, Lulu,
2: what's funny is whatever you're thinking, it's even more ludicrous than that. And we'll we'll go through it with you in a couple more episodes here. Dare I it's- say it's uh, Lulu,
3: Chris. Oh, God. yes. Uh, that's not how that's pronounced. Lulukis. You would not survive in the pronunciation contest.
1: Wow, your prediction, <laughs> Kenny. You're disappointing us all. I know. Uh, uh, Jacob, uh,
0: because you said you got some, some more research, before we get to our next segment, are we missing any any
1: things that we need to cover? Oh, no. Uh, most of my research was on that speech it's still making, and how many past presidents were on battlefields. So I think we've covered everything that I have in my notes. But what a jam-packed four minutes. I'd forgotten. When you said this was 68 minutes into the movie, Kenny, at the start of this podcast, I thought, no. Every-
3: 108.
1: 108 minutes. Even then, I'm like, they managed to do all that in hour 48? I, I just... How much movie there is per minute in the advanced States? is kind mm-hmm. of astonishing. And we've
0: still got 30 more minutes. Dun, dun, dun. Which is exciting. Uh almost as exciting as our Jeff Con scale. Woo woo! Absolutely.
2: So Jacob, like the DEF CON scale, uh, it is uh, five equals no threat, one equals peak threat. And in this we're rating the hotness of Jeff Goldblum during any particular four minutes of the movie. Lulu. What was your impression of Jeff Goldblum during these four minutes of movie? Uh, where does he stand <laughs> on on the Jeff Con scale?
3: Well, we see a lot of vulnerability in these four minutes of him. Just sweetness, not it's it's vulnerability of sentimentality versus uh broken character or like some of the other things we've seen, but it's his father gives him barf backs because he knows he gets sick on planes. He's about to get onto the alien spaceship. He gives back the, his re- most prized religious artifacts, maybe not artifacts, but possessions, the, the Torah and the yarmulke, and they have those sweet moments, and then he hugs and talks to his ex-wife, and he has this great moment where he's, they've done the hugging and everything, and he's just looking at them, and then his eyebrows knit together in this sympathetic, understanding way. It's an afterthought that just killed me. I loved it. I was like, Oh, I love this man. So um, Jeff Con 2, just because he's not doing anything super heroic. Flannel wasn't flapping open or anything, but there's a very uh, quiet sweetness and sentimentality in him in this, these four minutes.
2: Jacob, how about you? Do you have an opinion of where Jeff Goldblum is on a scale of five to one in this particular clip?
1: I'll give him a three because I, I, he's not as hot as he is in a civilian wear. And well, that's spoiling things for Lulu. He doesn't become hot in his military wear until he gets a little ruffled. And then it becomes like total five out of five. Uh so I'll, I'll say, you know, he's he's a good son hot here, as opposed to um I want to take you out the, on the town hot.
3: Take you out on the tarmac.
0: <laughs> uh Lulu, because you are our expert on Jeff Goldblum's hotness, now how do we rewrite this scene? Oh, to where Goldblum gets to be peak goldblum hotness.
3: Oh man. I don't know. The just in, I was thinking he might say something very sweet, he, but he just says, just in case. And that's a, a very tender moment. So I i guess we'd have to just see a little bit more of his toasty, beautiful skin. Uh, maybe someone passes by him fast and their the draft from their passing by flops his shirt open a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Baldwin is rushing to go find something to put in the duffel bag and he goes by really fast. I, I don't know how to rewrite this one. There's, it's moments where, if he, if he showed some arrogance or said something brilliant, it would be out of place in this four minutes, and then it would sort of ruin things, so.
0: Lulu, it's not about good filmmaking here. It's about delivering maximum bloom to your uh, eye holes.
3: To my eye holes? Yeah. Well, then he could have put his hands on Constance's face and talked to her really sweetly and given her a, a very gentle kiss. That would have done it.
0: <laughs> mm
2: so just upgrading from the hug to the kiss—that would have. Yeah. Had it gone for like first or second base, that would have been too
3: much. Too much. Like, dude, come on! No, don't be opportunistic. Just, you know, follow your heart here.
0: Uh, speaking of following your heart, Lulu, I think oh. it's uh, probably time to follow your heart into what we think is going to happen next week.
3: I know. I know. Okay, I'm still sticking with they can't get the alien ship started. They're like, all right, let's go! Yeah, woo, woo, woo! Go, 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 go. Oh, God. What? It's not starting. What do we do? And they have to go get alien DNA, put it in the ship somehow, make it start. So that's one. Um, so they're behind because President Thomas J. Whitmore and Randy Quaid are already, well, Randy Quaid's already seated. He's ready to take off and do his thing. And so we see, I think we're going to see a big fighter pilot melee. In the air. We haven't seen the ship, the alien ship, in a long time. What's it doing? Is it just hovering? Is it out there destroying more iconic buildings and pieces? Where is that alien ship? I mean,
2: destroying the tobacco
3: trade? Yes. (laughs) No. Like, seriously, we've had a good, we've had a lot of time pass and we don't, we haven't heard about them at all. So maybe they're regrouping or they're having a nap. You never know. So we approach the sh- that, I think we're going to see them approach the alien ship and start fighting. Someone probably needs to die. I guess some of those extras we saw that we fell in love with a little bit are going to die. I think we just see a lot of fighting. I don't have a lot of really strong predictions. Okay, let's say Randy Quaid, he peels off out of formation to try something risky, like going around back of the spaceship and... Shooting something into the tailpipe, you know? Something crazy. Axel Foley style. President Thomas J. Whitmore has got to take some fire and maybe, you know, we worry about him. That's what I got. It's not not a lot today.
1: That's that's a lot. That's perfect. Okay.
3: Anything else before we call this an
0: episode,
1: folks I mean hot take this is a good movie.
3: Yeah.
0: Well spicy take. I forgot to say, while listening to the audio commentary of this movie, four minutes at a time, today we celebrate our Independence Day was not in the original speech. Oh, <gasps> really? It was added during filming as extra leverage for Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin against the studio because the studio did not want them to call this movie Independence Day.
3: No way. What do they want them to call it? Arbor Day. Arbor Day. <laughs> yes
2: i I do love when the titular line is spoken aloud, and we got we got it in spades here in this one, right, and it may not have been something they were intending to do, but thank goodness they did get that that line out there.
0: Yes, let's talk about this real quick, uh, and then we'll bring the podcast to a close. Favorite uses of title lines like this movie is today we celebrate our Independence Day. My favorite is in Star Trek First Contact when Zephyr Cochran goes, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. And then Jonathan Frakes as Will Riker almost looks right into camera. It's (laughs) thrilling. Uh, I just stopped clapping about it a couple days ago. It's just that good.
1: For me, the answer is uh, do the right thing. Which is uh, which is spoken by Ossie Davis as a as a piece of advice, and it becomes the title of the movie, and the movie, and that, and that scene invites you to wonder what the right thing is constantly, and have the discussion over and over again. I think it's the greatest integration I can think of of a title in the dialogue. Yes, nice. Independence Day, is probably number two. So,
2: <laughs> number two. I I really like when Tommy Lee Jones turns to the camera and says, "Well, this is no country for old men." <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It's up there with Harrison Ford saying, well, we are all these Raiders of the Lost Ark. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
0: Jacob, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Uh, You're a sweetheart and a raconteur of Mm -hmm. the highest caliber. Liar. Liar. (laughs) I I never lie. Lulu can say that.
3: He doesn't lie. All the time. He lies all the time.
0: (laughs) Shut up. Uh, If folks want to check out more of your wonderful and insightful analysis, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, I'm the managing editor at slashfilm.com, so I will occasionally have my own articles up there. Otherwise, I'm running the ship around those parts, making sure things, everything on that site is, <laughs> I've had my fingers on it, for better or worse, so yell at me, not at the writers. And also, I uh, co-host with YChamBui, uh, Trekking Through Time and Space, a podcast about Star Trek and Doctor Who, if you happen to be a person who enjoys both of those shows.
0: I enjoy both of those shows. I did an episode on their Patreon feed uh, talking about Star Trek fandom. I'm so thrilled to just nerd out about that.
1: And you'll be back, Kenny. You'll be back.
0: Oh, oh boy. Absolutely. Tyler, where can people find you?
2: If you're so inclined to listen to and watch some short form comedy on Zoom, uh, come come see Comedy Sports Austin, 7.30 on Saturday nights. I'm often in the mix there. Uh, just go to com. It's a lot of fun. Free show, family, friendly, tag team, competitive improv, two teams of comedians seeing who can make the audience laugh more. As a referee, there's fouls. It's a lot of fun. Like I say, short form and fun.
3: It's a great show. Yes.
0: You can hear me on one of my other podcasts, uh, including LassoCast, where we are currently talking with cast members and other fun folks about the TV show Ted Lasso and just preparing for the second season. And you can also hear me on my Guilty Pleasure podcast, Shame Watch, which has just wrapped up its run completely for the moment. Go go listen to that at sh- uh, shamewatchpod.com. And Lulu, you woman about town.
3: Oh, yeah. You can find me doing my taxes because it's time for that if you own a small business. And uh, cooking.
0: We can't wait to get a sample of that.
3: Doing the usual, folks.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our podcast survives on word of mouth, so the more that you can brag about how much you listen to this podcast... The more that we will be happy, the more that we will be inclined to do more of these episodes. And thank you so much for listening to ID4 Minutes at a Time. Jacob, once again, thank you so much for chatting. Thanks, with Jacob.
3: I learned a lot.
1: Jacob, you were great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you so much. Just, just all Have your new trivia. Tell your friends about the three presidents who were on battlefields.
3: <laughs>
0: you will. And probably just like George Washington said as he was leading troops into the battlefield, it ain't over till the fat lady... Actually,
2: I would think more that's a Lincoln quote, because, you know, he was a theater Theater. fan.
0: Much like Lincoln would say as he was leading troops into the battlefield, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. Sings.
3: Get down, Lincoln! Get down!
0: Lincoln, get down!